Hello and welcome into the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb, and as always, I am joined by Dustin Ragusa. Dustin, how are you doing this week, sir? Cade, I'm doing good. Thank you for asking, but... We're pretty much done. Last yeah. week we said we were almost done. We thought, you know, softball was going to make a little bit farther of a run, which I guess they still would have been almost done at this time. We thought baseball was going to at least get in the super so they would still be playing. All we've got left is track, and that started today, and then it's done until well, football. If you think that's going to stop us from having an hour and 40-minute podcast last week, then you would be mistaken. We opened, I don't know if you know this, Dustin, we opened last week's podcast by like, yeah, well, there's a couple things going on, but there's not a whole lot. And then it was like the longest podcast in months. So let's, let's, we'll try not to repeat the same uh, fortune this week, but who knows? We, We always go where the, where the path leads us. Yeah. And Kate, I didn't even ask you, how are you doing? And I, I know the listeners can't see, but I like your polo. Oh, thank you. Uh, shout out. Well, no free ads, um, but I'm doing really good. Uh, thank you for asking. The baby's starting to sleep a little bit more. So anytime that happens, you get a little spring in your step. I'm blessed with a great wife who kind of is just running the house right now. I will totally own that. Uh, we're only as good as our wives, me and you, Dustin. So uh, we'll take yeah. that. Um, I think but- in the power rankings of my house, I think I'm sixth. Fifth, yeah, I mean, behind, behind both your dogs and the baby. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So. Backyard looks really good, too. You might need to reassess where you are. Like, you could add the backyard in that, right? <laughs> you know, I, don't di- I don't you disagree, man. You know what? The dog sleeps at the foot of the bed, and I'm like, I don't even... You deserve where I'm at right now, the way you keep watch over <laughs> things. And no, it's good, man. It's uh, We had, uh, you know, some family photos this weekend, and uh, yeah, it's it's all good. We're blessed. But thank you for asking. Let's jump into it, though. Let's, I mean, obviously, the big story of the week is just the way things ended for obviously both baseball and softball. I do think those two aren't necessarily in the same conversation, though. Softball, we we discussed a successful season. It might be disappointing not getting to the championship series. I think it was disappointing, but it was not a disappointment. On the flip side, baseball, uh, to again, I, I tweeted this, but to say that they got eliminated is putting it kindly. They got evicted and from their own stadium by mid majors. And you know, Dustin, I don't, we don't get hot takey on here, and so we'll break this down as honestly as we can. But I've got opinions on it. I, I felt like that that was, um, I don't know what I don't want to call it embarrassing, uh, but it was. You know, you it was a tough regional. Everybody claimed it to be the toughest out there, but you were the least competitive team in it in your own stadium. That's a problem. Yeah, it is. You're you're 100 correct. It was definitely disappointing. You and I both said when the season started, we thought this team could get to the supers. We talked last week. You said, I don't. I, you didn't say you thought they were going to get the College World Series, but you you said you thought that that would probably be disappointing if they weren't to make one soon. We both said they'd probably make it to the supers supers even though this was a tough regional and they didn't get there so in our standards it was disappointing not that our standards matter for anything but to you and i 
it ended as a disappointing season. They get knocked out of the regional again. Last season's regional, I know they didn't make it out, but it was very exciting. Like you said, this one wasn't as exciting. So on Friday <laughs> night, they fall to Oral Roberts six to four. It was it was kind of a weird game. Nolan McLean gets the start, which you and I both love. Nolan McLean is a starter. It's great to see his versatility. He can play right field, third base. He can close. He can relieve. He can start games off. He just didn't look good. Four innings, striking out three, allowing five runs. Isaac Stevens comes in. He gives up a run, but he's able to provide some pretty good relief out of the bullpen. Mm -hmm. Zach Earhart and Carson Binge both go two for four. David Mindham drove in a pair of runs. Aiden Yola comes in to pinch hit and hits another home run. The Cowboys had some chances late in the game to tie it up, and they just weren't able to do it. And I, okay, this ORU team is really good. They're going to play Oregon in the Supers. There was a chance. I don't know if you saw this. Oregon has a single A team that plays in their stadium, and there was a. They were at home. They were supposed to be at home this weekend, and Oregon was maybe going to have to go to ORU for the super regional, but it, it's going to be played in Oregon, but that would have been insane. It, it would have been like they were trying the baseball gods were trying to set it up for ORU to make it to the college world series. Right. Oh, wow. Yeah. That would have been incredible. I mean, you, did you see what happened with Indiana state and TCU? Oh yeah. With the, uh, it was a special Olympics that they had going on. Yeah. They had the special Olympics going on and the infrastructure of Terre Haute, Indiana literally could not withstand another large scale event coming in that's and they had to defer to tcu so that's a real bummer for those kind of you know schools that don't ever really get that shot i hate that for them but yeah that would have been at least good for oregon not having to do that but anyway it's crazy so kid when they lose when they lose their ORU before we get to dbu and in the bloodbath that that was what were your thoughts after the oru loss because i personally and i you know i I catch some flack for being optimistic at times, overly optimistic, which is deserved. I am at times, but I wasn't super worried after the 6-4 loss to ORU. They threw Nolan McLean out there. He looked good, but he hadn't had in other starts, but he hadn't started that many. I knew they still had some guys in the bullpen that they hadn't used. They did burn Stebbins, but I personally, to answer my own question, wasn't that worried. Uh, no, I actually just thought, oh, are you looked like top to bottom, the better team that day? I mean, it, it did not feel fluky by any All season, maybe. Yeah. I mean, so I was going to get there because th yes, I, I feel like after three games, you have to kind of look at ORU and think, I don't know if Oklahoma state was better than them in a, in a 10 game series. Does OSU win three? In your mind, that's probably what they come away with for if they get lucky. But I mean, Jonah, Ka like they have some dudes and I didn't walk away from that feeling like it was a fluke. And I thought that Oklahoma State would get through DBU and find ORU again in a like kind of do or die type of scenario. And I thought they would have won a game like that, but it did not matter because it was a bloodbath on Saturday uh, against DBU. So disappointing because I, I, again, I thought that they could rebound from that. Um, it just, I felt like they ran into a good team. Yeah. And then they come and Jonah Cox, probably the best player you've never heard about until this NCAA tournament coming in. We had seen some stuff about him on D one baseball. We'd seen him play against OSU already, but the center fielder, for ORU is that's a name you're going to hear in the majors. Yeah, no so question. They lose this game. 
Caden Dustin are both still optimistic. <laughs> coming to the Shocker. DBU game. <laughs> we come to the DBU game. And before I give the final score on that one, which you've probably already seen it if you're listening to this podcast, Ron Watts Brown comes out and looks dominant through three innings. Like he looks solid. Nolan Schubert hits a solo home run. The Cowboys are leading one to zero. And then everything just falls apart in the fourth inning. Three home runs, I believe, in that inning. And Dallas Baptist, who we talked about on the last podcast, 12th in the nation in home runs, they end up winning the game 18-4. to Oklahoma State throws out a bunch of pitchers. Nobody can slow them down. Abram comes out there. You know, and Schubert and Riggio, both homer. Those are the guys you expect to be good at the plate, but – Four runs, it wouldn't have mattered if they had 10 runs. They Dallas Baptist scores 18, and Oklahoma State's pitching just kind of fell apart in this regional, and that knocked them out. They went two games and out in a regional that they hosted. Yeah, and it's you know not that different from last year, the way that went, right? I mean, Oklahoma State gave up a ton of runs in the regional that they hosted last year. I mean, there were double-digit runs three times given up. I'm trying to pull up the exact number. But, Dustin, this is becoming a trend, or I would say it's not a trend anymore. It's more of a pattern, and it's a concerning one. It's like, how do you not have enough pitching to slow that down to where you're giving up? I mean, that 18 runs in your own building is not acceptable right like that's that's a real problem so i mean dustin i there's so much that went wrong and i would even say that the fact that you're in a game where you're giving up that amount of runs and you're not at least even sniffing your own large number like you would have thought that maybe they put up 10 in a game like that and they put up four so the bats were disappointing rock Riggio did not have a great regional that that we had expected maybe after last year um, and the pitching was nowhere to be uh, found. And it really was kind of just open and shut within what, 24 hours? Yeah, it, it was tough. And and like you said, you know, DBU's pitchers are probably taking a few more chances with some of the balls they're throwing when they're up 18 to four and still couldn't really get anything going at the plate. So good to point that out from you. Kate, I, I don't really know. I mean, it was only two games, so there's really not that more, much more to break down. I don't think from these two and we kind of laid it out already. We we think this season was a disappointment. I, I kind of wanted to talk to you. I I, I feel bad kind of leaving this season where it is this quickly, but I kind of wanted to go ahead and talk to you about what the future looks like. And I, I know people are talking about Rob Walton firing Rob Walton. I know some people have even talked about Josh Holiday maybe maybe leaving. But I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the about that, about the team for next year. Unless you had any other takes on these two games, it's almost hard to talk about the 18 to 4 one. There's really nothing to take away. Yeah. I mean, I have no real like takeaways other than that was awful. Like, so I'm ready to talk about other things. All right. So I wanted to look at for next year. Let's look at the players first and we can talk coaches because we got it. We have a question on the coaches as well. So we can hit that later too. So the rule, just to recap, the rule for the MLB draft is for someone to be eligible. So players who have graduated high school but not yet attended college are eligible. A player that's completed at least one year of junior college. And then players attending four-year colleges are able to be drafted upon completion of their junior year or 
when they turn 21 years old. And that's going to come in when I to play later on some of the guys that could be leaving. But here are the guys who were recognized on senior day, who are out of eligibility or who have entered the transfer portal. Ben Abram, out of eligibility, starting pitcher. This is your one of your weekend starters you're going to be yep. losing. A guy that you didn't think was going to be a weekend starter, I don't think, going into the season. He was there. Chase Atkinson, I believe he's out of eligibility, even though he's listed as a junior due to being at Boise State. But either way, he was recognized on senior day, and I think he'll get drafted and will probably leave. Ryan Bogus was recognized on senior day. Brian Hendry, out of eligibility. Both of those guys are relief pitchers. David Mindham, out of eligibility at first base, which you're starting first baseman. Baden Root, a pretty significant arm out of the bullpen this season, will be leaving. And then entering the transfer portal, Brent Hoagie, he only pitched .2 innings this year. He was a JUCO transfer. And Cade Shatwell, he's a freshman from Edmond Santa Fe, right-handed pitcher. He had three appearances this year, so not huge losses in the portal. But those are the guys you're losing. So, Cade, to recap that, one of your weekend starters, one of your main bullpen arms, your catcher, who was also your cleanup hitter at the end of the season, yep. and one of your biggest clutch hitters in first baseman and David Mindham. It's it's quite a few. Those are the guys that are just for sure leaving. Right. Now I'm gonna now I'm gonna list off before I throw it back to you, I want to list off the guys that can go pro. So Nolan McLean, MLB.com has him as a number 89 prospect. D1 also has him as a top 150 prospect. Colin Brigaman, because he's played in JUCO. Tyler Wolfert, because he's played in JUCO. Marcus Brown, who is a top 150 D1 recruit, but he's not on MLB.com's list. Juan Watts Brown, who can leave because he redshirted at Long Beach before transferring, so he would have completed his third year. He is MLB.com's number 63, which is actually the highest out of any OSU player on there. And then he's a top 150 on D1. Evan O'Toole, relief pitcher. Isaac Stebbins, relief pitcher. Juco guy. And then Cade, this is a name I haven't heard people throwing around a lot because he's actually only completed two years at a four-year university. But Rock Riggio will have been 21 for 28 days oh, wow. by the time the MLB draft happens. And he is rated as a top 150 recruit on both MLB or top 150 prospect on both MLB.com and D1 baseball. Yeah. So there's a lot leaving and a lot that could leave. And I think that's part of the nature of running a, you know, top 20 baseball program in D1. Like that's just the nature of it. You have a building in O'Brate Stadium. That's what a top five facility in college baseball. So you're going to get really good talent because of that. And that talent could leave early. That's just the nature of it. And so, I mean, I, I fully expect Dustin that if they're going to lose multiple people like that could leave. They're going to lose multiple out of that crop. I fully expect them though, to replace with a more top end hitting. Um, it's I, I'm just kind of zeroing in on pitching and how do you reload a bullpen that was, I mean, really Dustin, like we, we were probably pretty kind to it at times this year. It was not, it was generally not great, right? Like there were some good moments, but it, it was not a consistent uh, expectation all season of what they had. Um, and they're going to lose a bit in that bullpen. So I, I have more concerns about that and kind of looking to see how they replace in the bullpen specifically. Yeah, and it's a great point. And, and it's really too, and I know this is a little bit out of the coach's control at times, but losing Ryan Ure at the beginning of the year to Tommy yeah. John, 
yeah. Ryan Bogus not ever being able to get healthy. So you're losing those guys out of the pin. You're moving Noel McClain goes down. So you've got to move Stebbins to your closer. Yep. You've got guys moving all around. Ben Abram becomes a starter. Binge is a weekend starter. Brennan Phillips, a guy that started at the beginning of the season as a true freshman, kind of falls completely out of the rotation until the Big 12 tournament. So not only was it inconsistency on the field, but just inconsistency in terms of where guys were slotting in. And I, like I said, that's not all on the coaches, but it would be great to you know have a little bit more consistency like some of these other teams we saw that are still in the tournament. Yeah. But Kate, you segued it perfectly. I wanted to talk about some of the guys coming in. And baseball recruiting is tough because the websites do a, the way they rank and you have to be a subscriber to a lot of them. So Perfect Game, who's one of the top baseball you know, kind of prospect sites, they have Oklahoma State's class as 60th with zero in the top 100. But then you go to Baseball America and they have Oklahoma State with four guys committed in the top 100. And that's just high school guys. So it's kind of tough, but some of the guys I like coming in, I, I just wanted to give three to you. So out of the high school class, Gatorade Oklahoma Player of the Year, Cash Mayfield from Elk City. He's a left-handed pitcher and center fielder. The dude crushes at the plate, and he's a really talented left-handed pitcher. I don't think he's a guy that comes in right away and is someone that we think can start like Brandon Phillips, even though obviously that didn't go super well at the beginning of the season. But I think maybe towards the end of the season, if, if some guys go down, like we've seen the past couple of years, Cash Mayfield is a guy you could see in there. They've also got Avery Ortiz from high school, from Tulsa Union. It's an infielder and right-handed pitcher. Another guy I could see really kind of maybe not as a true freshman, but someone that's going to probably play pretty quickly. Maybe think of more like a Aiden Miola kind of coming on at the beginning of this season before he got hurt, whereas we didn't really see him a ton as a true freshman. And then the big name that I wanted to point out to you, I know we just kind of talked about two guys that can pitch, and that's where your head was at. But some more, even some more power at the plate would be great because yeah, we're losing totally. some. Xavier Casarella, third baseman from Seminole State. He's a JUCO transfer. Came in 64 games. So just for comparison, Oklahoma State played 61 games. So about the same. He batted 378 with 24 home runs, which was sixth in all of JUCO. And 86 RBIs, which was sixth in all of JUCO. He also swiped 12 bags. Though that would he would have led the team in all those statistics except stolen bases, I believe, with a 481 on base percentage. This is a guy that comes in again, third base. We talked about some of the guys that are leaving. I know when Riggio went out being sick, Miola played second for a little bit. If Wolfert were to leave, you could play Casarilla at third base. You could play Miola at second. Miola could even play short, I think, if Marcus Brown leaves. So you've got some options. And then Doherty. Drew Blake, Kiesel, Binge, Miola, Earhart, none of those guys can go pro. So all that negativity to say there are, there's a lot of guys coming back as well. Yeah, and I again, I think that consistency is important. And, I mean, shoot, I think you would absolutely take 86 RBIs on this year's team, wouldn't you? It was at times inconsistent with the bats as well. And I think as we've been talking about it, you know, this evening, I'm I'm – reminding myself of it was an up and down year. It's not as if like all year you knew, you know, what this team was going to bring. There were even good stretches for the, for the pitching. Like there were good stretches for hitting and then there, it would be followed up by slumps for both. And uh, it's not 
really, Dustin, it is not that shocking the way things ended up because of what you were, you know, this team was capable of both positive and negative because you saw both throughout the season. Like you saw this team's really good and you saw this team's really bad. And unfortunately, they they just showed they're really bad on, on Friday yeah. and Saturday. All that to say, I think I think some moves are made in the portal. You got guys like Brennan Holt, who we haven't seen a lot of yet. Right. You got Bo Sylvester. I think maybe some guys enter the portal. You see some guys come in from the portal. But with the talent on this team, I think they have just like way too early prediction. I think this is a good enough team to host another regional. The thing is, they've got to start getting out of them. Yeah, I mean, the the natives will grow restless if they don't start advancing out of the regionals. I mean, I've looked back, Dustin. They have, uh, in their last uh, several Stillwater regionals, they've advanced out of them one time. So it's almost more likely that they advance to the Supers when they're not hosting their own regional. So I don't know what that says, but it's it's not, uh, I mean, I don't think it's a, you know, anomaly at this point. Like, it should not be as hard as it is for Oklahoma State to advance to the Super Regionals. I mean, granted, they ran into an Arkansas team last year who I I almost would throw that one out or at least put an asterisk by it because that Arkansas team was looking to be a national seed at, you know, a month before the regional started. And then they put up like 50 runs. So I, I'm taking all this with a grain of salt. But at the same time, history repeated itself this year as it did last year. I mean, they, they gave up uh, six runs to Oral Roberts, which I think you would have said okay about, but 18 runs to Dallas Baptist cannot happen. It, it just yeah. can't happen in your own building. I mean, the, the Vanderbilts, I mean, that's maybe a, a bad example, but there are a lot of programs that you compare yourself to that are not doing that. Yeah. And then college baseball is just chaos every year. I mean, seven it really is of the 16, one seeds didn't even make it to the supers. And how much of a bummer is it, Dustin, that Vanderbilt, didn't make their re- super regional. Like you yeah, would have had would have a path to Omaha. Yeah. And you would have hosted. Yep. The, the path would have been clear, but it was clearly not in the cards for Oklahoma State. Yeah. Well, Kate, I just wanted to get your thoughts. Thanks for letting me ask you some of those questions on that kind of future outlook. But I think it's good to kind of talk about some of that stuff, especially when you kind of have a disappointing season to look at even some more negatives with guys leaving, but some positives with guys coming in. But Kate, do you want to go to softball? Yeah, I think we should. While we're melancholy, we should just continue this, right? And this one's tougher, Cade, because, you know, they make it to the College World Series. They're one of the eight teams left standing. They win a game. It's not like they just got completely knocked right. out like baseball did. You and I just thought they were a good enough team to make it to what, tonight's game. Yeah, Tonight's absolutely. game one of the uh, OU Florida State. Which is going to be a great series, I think. Yeah. Yes, I'm not going to watch because I don't want to give OU any ratings, <laughs> but I know it'll be on. But they go up against Florida State, who, a team they beat 2-1 to one in their season series and could have won all three. We talked about that on the last podcast. And, man, Kat, is Kat Sandercock just oh my on God. fire in this game? She was unhittable. And the, the girls talked about it in the postgame presser. Kenny talked about it. I mean, when you're this good of a team, you gotta you gotta figure out a way to hit her when you see her several times through the lineup. But you're talking about one of the best pitchers in recent softball history being on her A game. They yeah. hit her during the season. We talked about it. They scored multiple runs off of her, had like nine hits in five innings of seeing her or something like that. 
But she was just otherworldly in this game. So I, I can't really blame them too much for that loss to Florida State, who's in the championship series. No, I can't either. And I mean, it's it's like Kelly Maxwell being on her A game, maybe even a step above. Like, Kat Sandercock's fantastic. And I think she's going to give OU problems tonight. Um, and I, I think you just have to chalk it up to, you know what? You didn't get blown out. I felt like they were competitive in that game up until a certain point. And uh, I mean, you battled and I, you kind of right. ran into... Yeah, you kind of ran into just like a Tom Brady type performance, and I think you can get over that. And they clearly did because the performance against Utah gave me vibes that they were, you know, going to potentially figure out a way to get out of the situation they were in and into a semifinal type of scenario. So, uh, you know, Dustin, I don't want to put the card ahead of the horse, but uh, yeah, the Florida State thing was not shocking. And I mean, I think you can get over it knowing how well Sandercock pitched. I did want to ask, and only four hits in that game, Becker, Bloodworth, right. Naomi, and Carwile. Right. I did want to ask what you thought, because we haven't got we haven't got to talk about this uh off off air either, just for forgetting, I think, to talk about it. But Kenny, after the rain delay, taking Maxwell out and going to Acock, who ended up giving up four four earned runs, who Kyra Acock, true freshman, who you and I both like a lot. What did you think about that decision when Florida State ended up staying with Sandercock? And I think it was like an hour delay well and what was it at the time three nothing it was two nothing right i think was you're right actually no i think it was two but it, either way they had the was... one home run yeah florida yeah. state had the one two run homer their catcher yeah can't think of her last name she's really tall yeah um so i did not love it i'll answer it that way i uh felt like I mean, Florida State kind of sent a message by throwing Sandercock back out there. Now, you always run a risk with that, right? And I, I think Kenny's been in that situation enough. He's, I mean, he lives in this state. He knows how to handle these rain delays. This is not abnormal. But I felt like, you know, Maxwell was not getting, you know, rocked necessarily. She was giving up some hits. She was putting some runners on base. But she was working her way out of it. I don't know if there was something that, he could see, you know, knowing her so well that he just didn't like and and went to, you know, Acock. I don't know, but I, I'll tell you in the moment, I didn't love it. And, you know, it's easy to look back and say, well, yeah, it was the wrong decision, but uh, we don't know. We, we just don't know what the, you know, the thought process was there. Yeah, well, he actually, he ended up saying after the game, he said, yeah, it was an easy one to be very honest on the decision. As the delay got longer, Kelly, her history, we know her history very well. The more she sits, it doesn't usually work out in her favor. So, so there you it go. sounds like they have some kind of stats on that, Cade. I, I wouldn't try to set you up, sorry, with that, because I thought it was kind of a confusing answer because I couldn't think back to many delays with Mexico in general where that's right. happened, but I'm sure it has. And I'm not, obviously, Kenny Gajewski knows way more about softball than me. I just still, you know... Eh, I would have asked, and I say this now, hindsight, if if I would have been there, I, I hope that I would have asked, why didn't he go with Kilfoyle mm. when you were only down 2-0? I, I mean, you got to wonder. you were going to go with somebody else. You got to wonder if it's because you were going to have to turn around tomorrow and go. And yeah, did you want to burn, did you want to burn Maxwell and Kilfoyle in, you know, and, and softball is different. It's not like. It's not like baseball where you got to wait a few days. I mean, you could have thrown uh, Maxwell back out there. Potentially, she only threw two and a half innings. So I don't know. I And I I think the questions are warranted. 
But ultimately, I mean, I, I feel like you, his response without having seen it answered my initial question is like, is there something he knows about Kelly that we don't know or maybe that we didn't consider because it was everything everybody talked about is like, well, why didn't you put her back out there? I mean, there's got to be a reason, right? Yeah. I, I mean, maybe they just knew Sandercock was on her game. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so that, that one was tough. And then you mentioned the Utah 8-0. First ever Oklahoma State victory by run rule in the College World That's Series. Awesome. So that was pretty awesome in five innings. Lexi Kilfoyle just dominates in that game. Rachel Becker, Naomi, Wynn, Factor, Carlisle, all getting in on the action. Wynn had a two-hit game. She really had a great rebound season from last year after transferring from Kansas. I mean, really, this was just a full-on beatdown, Kate. I thought it could have gotten even more out of hand than it did, so I, I didn't really have too many notes on that one. No, I, I mean, I didn't either. It was fun, but Oklahoma State was in a do-or-die situation. It was really the next game that was, you know, I think the jitters were were flowing because if you win that, you're all of a sudden in a in a little bit different situation. Yeah, and this game, they kind of do what we were talking about in the Florida State game. They take Maxwell out. Tennessee had the two-run lead. Lexi Kilfoyle comes in, and they end up. Tennessee ends up winning the game three to one. Morgan Wynn gives Oklahoma State the solo shot. This is a team I thought they could have beat. They just couldn't yeah. really get the bats going. You know, three runs. I think a team that this team we've seen. I know they don't hit the long ball, but we've seen them hit well enough this year. I mean, have one of the better batting averages, on-base percentages in the country. Just couldn't get it going at the plate. And I, I, I don't think I have too much ill will to say about Maxwell and Hillfoy only giving up three runs in a College World Series game. I think Oklahoma State has to produce more at the plate. Yeah, I think so. Oh, and they they could not string hits and walks together and sustain an inning. How many times did it feel like they had runners on first, first and second with one out, two outs, and they couldn't get a timely hit? I mean, the only exception is the Utah game. But even that, it's not like it was uh, – you know, merry-go-round around the bases. They It was just timely hitting that they didn't have against Florida State and Tennessee. But, Dustin, they ran into another buzzsaw on the mound. I mean, Ashley Rogers was unbelievable. She really threw 137 good. pitches. Like, she was amazing. Yeah, and she's she's very intimidating on the mound. Like, she gives kind of a mean face the entire time. I was <laughs> yeah. not – I was scared. But, yeah, it, and it's tough. You know, Morgan Wynn moves up to the cleanup spot. And he said that Michaela Wark wasn't feeling great. I don't know if he meant at the plate or like physically ill. So that's something I, I didn't get much clarity on that, but that's tough because Wark's been one of your better hitters and the cleanup hitter most of the season. You know, a lot you think about send, what did you think about sending Wark home on that uh, play? And I think it was in the third or fourth inning. Yeah. I didn't love it. I do love, you know, challenging the catcher's interference after. I feel like you should do that anytime there's a play the plate and softball. Did they even but... look at it, though? It, it was so fast that I'm not even sure they looked at the right thing. I thought that they did just because the ump came back out and did the out signal again, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly. Well, but, but my, that might have been the first time she did it. Well, that was my question. My question is, like, yes, she was out. Like, the tag was there. But it could have totally been obstruction. Like, that's been obstruction yeah. throughout the entire College World Series. It's been obstruction throughout the entire season. And it was so fast 
that I was like, were they just looking at the tag? I mean, it was too fast to have reviewed obstruction in my opinion, or it was just like textbook not, but I, I thought it was textbook obstruction. So that was a I little weird to it, me. Though. No. And uh, that's where I'm going back to. I thought like, that's the last person I would have sent in the situation like that. Even the announcer, I don't know if you caught this, but as Michaela work was rounding second, and that ball was rolling to the to the fence said let's see how far she can go like let's see, is Kenny going to send her from first and it was just not a well hit ball enough to have I done mean, that and she was out by a few steps that's someone they pinch run for a lot like, like she's all, not a almost, runner yeah they, no she's not and they tried to send her home from first on a you know gapper which just really aggressive in a in a two nothing game um like if you if you can get runners on second and third, you're one base hit away from tying that thing up. Yeah, I agree. I it's just it's tough. It's tough to be super disappointed in getting the college world series and winning a game. I just thought they could have gone farther, but so many accolades for this team. You know, I mentioned first ever run rule victory. You got multiple All Americans on from different sites. You know, Rachel Becker, Kelly Maxwell, Talon Edwards, even on the All Freshman team. Kali Naomi finally gets an honors for All-American, uh, making the uh, NFCA All-American third team. So really good stuff, Cade. I, I think overall it's tough to say it was a disappointing season. I just wish they could have gotten a little bit farther, and I wish they wouldn't have had that kind of losing streak slump towards the end. Yeah, and they ran into two single-digit lost teams in, in the College World Series, and that's going to happen. It's the best of the best, but – I don't think the draw was as as um, attractive as things played out as I thought it was going to be at one time. I mean, Florida State was fantastic. Tennessee was fantastic. Utah was the only team in that you know uh, pod that I thought Oklahoma State highest seed. Yeah, yeah, was head and shoulders above, and they proved to be that. But yeah, it is tough to be disappointed. I would agree with you, Dustin. I think they lost to two really good teams that challenged some really good teams. And I mean, shoot, Florida State's in the championship series. So it's kind of unfortunate that Oklahoma State two years in a row has lost to an eventual like championship seed team. That's an unfortunate yeah, thing to realize. It is. And I, I got to stop making predictions because I jinxed them. I said they were going to cruise past Florida State. So how do you think, Dustin, how do you think they reload? I mean, they, they are yeah. losing. I mean, I don't know if you've got some thoughts yeah, on this. I got but it up. Yeah. They, they, let's just kind of set the table real quick. They lose essentially the crop of players that put Oklahoma State softball back onto the map. I mean, obviously, you can go back to the Samantha Shaw days or even, you know, back a little bit further than that. But, I mean, Kylie Naomi is like Oklahoma State softball legend at this point. So, Dustin, how do you think that they reload and address this? Yeah, so for sure leaving, Taylor Tuck, the starting catcher, Morgan Wynn, your starting DP, Kylie Naomi, who you just mentioned, your shortstop, All-American, Rachel Becker, another All-American, your starting second baseman, and Cheyenne Factor, who, you know, isn't as flashy and as, you know, kind of on field giving you energy as Naomi, who, who's kind of the, I feel like one of the faces of Oklahoma state softball, but factors been there the whole time and been just as consistent. So you're losing them. And I, Kate, I just kind of came up with some people behind them since we were going to talk about that, but you've got Schneidmiller behind Tuck. She hit 270 this year. She mainly caught Acock. We actually saw her catch Acock in the college world series. Behind Wynn at DP, I'm not as worried, even though Wynn had a really good season. But you've got Katie Lott, 
you could put out there who batted 370 this year as a left fielder in DP. You've got Claire Tim, one of the really high-rated high school recruits from the uh, two classes ago who batted 276 this year. You've got Lexi McDonald, the number 43 overall-rated player in her high school class. Behind Naomi, you've got people like Hayden Sokolowski, who is the number 17-rated player in the class. Claire Tim, who we saw play some in the field at third base. She, you know, she could play she could play behind Becker. And then for Shine Factor, you've got Angelina Craig. But these, but my point is, Craig, or Cade, these are all really, really young players, besides a Katie Lott and a Claire Tim who got some action this year and Sokolowski pinch running. These are all really young players. You do have Joe Pollard coming in from McNeese, who played third base there. She batted 376 in 2022 with seven home runs. And you've got a lot of good young players, Rose Davis, Tia Warsaw, Katie Cutts, Carly Goodwin coming in. But to your point, I think they're going to have to hit the transfer portal or they're going to be rolling out there with some really inexperienced but really talented players. Yeah, I and I, you know, I hesitate to say that Oklahoma State's poised to take a step back. I think you've got enough pitching that you're going to be able to sustain this. And I think Oklahoma State's going to be able to find more out of the portal. But, I mean, you're asking to replace a lot here. And, um, I mean, I think we've seen it before, not necessarily with Oklahoma State softball, but with Oklahoma State baseball. You could use this year as an example. Like, when you lose a lot, replacing a lot can get you close, but I don't know if it can get you all the way there, especially with the amount of time that those girls spent in the program. Rachel Becker, kind of the exception, more looking at Cheyenne Factor and Kylie Naomi. I think those are just really big losses. Yeah, I think it's losses from a leadership perspective that's going to be big. You know, just in the past two years, you're losing your Naomi's, your Kelsey Alexander's, Sydney Pennington's, Cheyenne Factor's. But, Kate, on the flip side, to flip it back to a little bit of a positive note, Maxwell and Kilfoyle can carry you pretty far by themselves. As long as you can score one, I mean, you're going to beat a lot of teams, especially like the bottom feeder teams in the Big 12. And I know Oklahoma State schedules a really good non-con, but you can beat teams with just Maxwell and Kilfoyle and, and some of the returning production hitting. I just think if they go on the portal, I would love for them to go find a power hitter. You know, oh, they, they need one. home runs this year. And that's not as definitely not a lot of timely home runs. I think they need a power hitter or two from the portal. Yeah, I, I think you're spot on. And that's a really good point because we talk about hitting and kind of broad, broad strokes, but you're right. I mean, that, I mean, Florida state and Tennessee both did it to Oklahoma state timely power hitting. I mean, I guess Tennessee didn't have any homers, but Florida state, that first one that that started things for them and it, Oklahoma state just, even all season, never really had that jolt. It was almost, you know, that small ball, like Kansas City Royals 2015 style. And I think Lexi McDonald could be that as a young player. Michaela Wark will be coming back. You know, she's only a redshirt freshman. So th- those are two power hitters right there. I just think you need more. And, I, yeah. man, it would be it would be nice. I, I don't know what they're going to do at catcher. I do know that Gajewski said that Talon Edwards can play catcher and Katie Locke can play left field. That would get two really good bats in your lineup. I just don't know how experienced Edwards is as catcher because Tuck was a really good catcher. And if if Edwards is, you know, average, below average at catcher, that'd be a huge drop off as far as the catcher position. Not at the plate, but actually in the field. 
Yeah. Yeah. No question. I mean, it's going to be really interesting to watch. I think Kenny's got his work cut out for him this year, but you know, history would suggest that he's going to figure out a way to do it. Kate, I, I think so. After that, we're going to do this pod a little bit differently just for this one where we had so much baseball, softball, but it's kind of the roundup now, and we're going to throw football and basketball in there again. We're, I think we're just going to only do it for this pod just because it's a lot of news and notes. We'll still hit some recruiting, but I think that's all we had on baseball and softball. Yeah, you're right. Thank you again for breaking all that down. And uh, it was a fun season. I hate the way it ended, but uh, baseball and softball kept us kind of on the edge of our seats all season. So I, I appreciate that about those two programs. Yeah. So Kate, if you want to move on, let's hit some NFL news just real quick. I'll just throw some rapid fire bullet points at you and you can just let me know what you think's the hottest. <laughs> I'll hit the button there. Yeah. I'll hit the button. <laughs> well, we've got the Buffalo bills going eye for an eye for an eye in terms of Oklahoma state. They cut former Oklahoma state wide receiver, Braden Johnson to make room for former Oklahoma state wide receiver, Marcel Aitman. Yeah. That's, was very interesting to me. Uh, and we've got just a couple other a couple other notes from the NFL. Lamont Bishop did not make the Seahawks roster. He's been getting some positive buzz from what I've seen on Twitter. So it sounds like he may get another tryout somewhere. I know he had a tryout with the Bears, so we'll see where Lamont ends up. The Dallas Cowboys signed Tyron Johnson, who was a free agent. And it sounds like Tanner Brown has a full-on competition going on with Chris Dunn from NC State for the Rams kicking position. I didn't really know what the Rams situation was at first, but it sounds like they're letting these two young kickers battle. And I'm thinking Tanner Brown could still get picked up somewhere, but I was hoping he'd go somewhere where they were maybe losing a kicker yeah, had right. a guy on his way out. So that's a little tough. Two young guys kind of going at it. We'll see if Tanner Brown can kind of come on top there, but yeah, Kate, I'll throw it back to you because I know you had some stuff on Marcel Aitman for Johnson. Do you do you think that they like did pistols firing to each other as they like walked past <laughs> like each other? Because one, yeah, like one's walking out, one's walking in. You think they hit each other with a little guns up or anything? What do you think that was like? I mean, we said I do because I've been wrong on multiple predictions lately. I did say I thought Marcel Aitman was going to get picked up after his you did with the St. Louis uh, Battlehawks. I think he and, had like 300 yards in six games or something receiving. Right. And we also thought that Braden Johnson was going to have a tough time making sticking in Buffalo. Yeah. And Kate, I, I don't know if you were trying to make a joke there with sticking, but I think that was the thing. You know, he, he just had a, a lot of dro- not a lot. He had drops that I don't think you see from a guy that ends up being an NFL player. The problem is he does have elite speed. He's a really good athlete, good route runner. Seems like a great guy. I think it was just the drops for me and uh, unable like to get separation yeah. with some bigger physical DBs. Yeah, I mean, you could also say he didn't catch on in Buffalo. Like, there's a lot of, like, I, I can keep going if you want me to. But, no, I mean, do you think that Marcel, like, or do you think, like, Braden like, left the Pistol Pete on his desk for Marcel, like, knowing, <laughs> okay, I'm done. We can keep moving. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. Uh, with the current football team, we do have some news, finally. I feel like we've gone, like, four weeks out in the yeah, news no on the joke. current football team. So the newcomers are here, Cade. So there's 25 new guys that have got here for the summer. All the pl- players reported back this week. They're going to start working out with Coach Rob Glass. That sounds not fun. Uh, or for someone like me, probably not fun. I feel like I'd die within like 30 minutes. 
So there's 15 scholarship guys and 10 preferred walk-ons. Just going to read through those 10 scholarship guys really quick. Ike Andrews, the wide receiver. Ike Isonwune, the linebacker. Jaden Foreman, the defensive end. Cam Franklin, safety. Cameron Hurd, wide receiver. Jarrett Henry, that's the offensive lineman they picked up from Trinity Valley after Caleb Etienne left. RJ Lester, the safety. Ricky Lolahia, defensive tackle. Jamison Mejia, offensive lineman. Jalen Pope, the receiver from Aledo, who you and I, and I know Adam Lund as well, think is a diamond in the rough type guy that had a ton of receiving yards in the championship game. Dylan Smith, cornerback. Gage Staniland, offensive lineman. Poesa Utu, linebacker. Sessi Velahi, the running back who they got kind of late from West High School, where Jalen Warren went. And then everybody's favorite, Tywin Ray, the safety from Smyrna, Georgia. Well, so all those guys are now here, Kate. He was last on your list that you just noted and first on our notes that I'm looking at right now. <laughs> so you saved literally your favorite for last because he's the only name I see on our agenda right here. So well done there. I was actually reading off this table that Pokes Report put in their article. So I'm actually not sure what their kind of sorting was here now looking at it. It doesn't look like it was alphabetical. <laughs> oh, well, we oh, can. Oh, alphabetical and last name. Sorry. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> That's what well, it was. This is great radio. I we we could continue, uh, but it is exciting to to hear all these new guys on campus, and obviously, like again, Jalen Pope, Tywin Ray, two guys I'm fired up about. Who are you most excited about out of those fifteen names I just read? Oh man. I mean, Tywin Ray is easy. Let's skip him. Let's skip yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I Jalen Pope is one that I I mean, I think he's going to be, I don't know if he's going to be like a James Washington end up type, like that type of guy, but I mean, I think he's kind of like that, right? Like he's going to be a guy that pops and like, who is that? Where did he come from? I, I fully expect that. Yeah, I, I love that pick. RJ Lester. Is yeah. a guy, like obviously we could say Cam Franklin, guys like that that were highly rated, but RJ Lester's a guy that I think I don't think he's going to start anytime soon, but he's got some skills. He puts out, you know, some videos on Twitter and stuff. He looks great. And then one more name, K. Jarrett Henry, yeah. a JUCO offensive lineman. Let's see if we can get a JUCO offensive lineman to grow, develop, stay, <laughs> and, and you know. <laughs> It's also big too. You lost Etienne, and I'm not saying it's it's a one for one trade out with Henry, but it's great to have gotten another guy so quickly in your offensive line room to kind of just build some depth just in case. Hundred percent. How many times have we talked about the need for depth? Like now, I feel like you've got a good like seven or eight starters, but can you 100%. just have some quality depth behind them that's willing to stick around? I I, I think it's a big deal. I agree. And then one more note, Robert Allen actually mentioned on his radio show that Leon Johnson, the third, the transfer D three wide receiver. sounds like Oklahoma state is trying to get a red shirt for him. I think this is due to division three canceling their football season during COVID. They're trying to get an, or not a red shirt, but an extra year of eligibility. It personally, I think that would be big time because from the practice I went to from the practice, our buddy who goes to extreme camp went to, I just, I didn't see, I saw, if we're not saying Z or X, just outside guys in general, Jaden Bray, Dejon Stribling, Blaine Green, Rashad Owens, and then he, I know he was hurt at the practice I was at, but I'd even throw a Talon Shetron in there just yeah. from what we've already seen from him. 
from what I saw from Leon, I just physically, I think he's behind all those guys. He's he needs a year with Rob Glass. I think he needs to work on his physicality. I, I think he would struggle getting separation in man coverage situations. So if he were able to get an extra year, I think that would be big time. Yeah, he was one that I know you had circled as, you know, needs to improve. And uh, shoot, I mean, it's not like shocking. He comes from George Fox University. So uh, this is a big leap. It's been maybe the major storyline with him all offseason is can he be a factor? And I'm not going to say no yet, but that would be big time if they could get him that extra year. And shoot, I mean, I I, I trust Casey Dunn. I mean, if he can get up two years with them, he's he's kind of a physical specimen in a way. He's extremely tall, rangy. Again, can he just package it all together at this level? 100%. Uh, along with that, Oklahoma State released their first four games, the television schedule for those. So all four are going to be at night, and you've got – so that's all three non-conference games at night with the 9.30 Central kick for Arizona State. So a late one for anyone watching from here. Kate, any takeaways from those? I, I do, honestly, like I love night. I love the morning games. I love the 2 o'clock games. I, I like them all. But <laughs> I just feel like, you know, some of the non-con games, I'd probably rather in the day and save some of the night for some of the more big-time Big 12 games. I, but I I agree. I think 11 a.m. is the new 6.30. Like, I, I love an 11 a.m. kick these days. And especially, like, when you have kids, it's it makes it a little easier. You get it out of the way early on in the day. I'll say that 9.30 Arizona State kick is is a problem for me, Dustin. I mean, that that's brutal. I'm going to be there, so it'll be oh, that's 7.30 there. Yeah, well, maybe you can just take pictures and send them to me because I'm going to try to stay awake. <laughs> Kidding. I will obviously be awake for that, but uh, it, it's not unlike the guaranteed rate bowl that Oklahoma State was just in. It's like, hey, if this thing goes south, I'll see you guys in the morning. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. Along with that, Justin Blackman on the Hall of Fame ballot. I believe this is the second time he's been on, second year in a row. I think There's 78 right players on there, Cade, and I just think the College Hall of Fame ballot has probably got to be so confusing because you see some of these names that were like insane NFL players and then you look back at college and maybe one of these guys you're leaving off was much better or you know much more productive in college than say not a Larry Fitzgerald because he was awesome in college but you, you get what I'm trying to say yeah yeah it just seems like it would be so confusing but a lot of big names on there Larry Fitzgerald uh, I think Marvin Harrison Randy Moss one of my personal favorites being a Louisiana guy Florida State running back work done but how many years do you think it's going to take Justin Blackman to get in well, it's kind of like ridiculous that he's not already in the College Football Hall of Fame. I don't know what the like, you know, statute of limitations is there. Like, I mean, Terry long... Miller just got in. That's was that last crazy. year? Yeah, that's right. I, I forgot about that. But I mean, Justin Blackman is one of the top three hands down wide receivers in college football history. You could make the case he's number one, but he's definitely top three. He should be in already. I mean, I, agreed. I, I don't think it takes very long for him to get no, in. I Maybe not so this either. year, but I think four years, five years, Matt. Do you think that the lack of any NFL career for him could be a contributing factor, kind of fading into, you know, out of the conversation so fast that people forget? I do, and I think it's unfair. I yeah, think it, it needs totally to be is. like way quicker when they get out of college for the yeah. on these ballots. I don't know what, how quickly it is, but, you know, like the fact that, Larry Fitzgerald isn't in. It's crazy because he was, I know it was only for a short period of time, but he was really good. Randy Moss, 
really good as well. I mean, these were guys that were up there for the Heisman Trophy. Where is it located? Is it a space issue? Like, do they need more room to be putting these, you know, busts in? I mean, this is this is a it little ridiculous. In South Bend, right? Yeah. Well, like, is it in a strip mall and they, they need to like buy the it. adjacent, you know, open <laughs> complex because that's ridiculous that Larry <laughs> Fitzgerald talking, is not I can look there. It up. Yeah, I can keep doing this bit, and while I'm doing it, <laughs> you look at that. Because that's out. That's outrageous that Larry Fitzgerald and Justin Blackman, both guys that have not been in college since 2011 and earlier, are not in the College Football Hall of Fame. It's in Atlanta. It's in Atlanta, Georgia. So So there's space there. I mean, that's just ridiculous. I just thought that that's the only possible explanation. It it did used to be in South Bend. I was right. And I've been to it. But it was a it was when I was like really young, so that's the only reason I remember that. But they moved it in like 2012. That's when they moved it. Wow, yeah. wow, that's so yeah, weird. There's to me. a little, there's some history for you, Cade. But yeah, yeah. Uh, outside of that, the Boone Pick we don't have to hit on this one, but the Boone Pickett Stadium project apparently, according to Polk's report, is ahead of schedule. So that's good. I don't believe them, but that's what they say. And then, Kate, I think the last thing before we hit a little bit of recruiting, Big 12 revenue distribution, Brett Yarmark announced a record annual distribution of $440 million, so an average of $44 million per school. And if we want to loop in there, too, just kind of some of the recent news of one of your one of your favorite schools, UConn, possibly entering That's, the Big 12. Well, I, they are a team I, I pull for. Um, I would not call them one of my favorite, but I will take them as, you know, kind of adjacent to me, but yeah, Dustin, I mean, I, and do you, I mean, that's going to increase if they pull in a Gonzaga and a Yukon and others, I mean, that's only going to go up. Yeah. It's, it's a little wild. I, you know, I hate, I hate that. I don't have as good a takes on adding the new, like, I would love for them to add only like big time schools, but UConn's good at basketball. If we have to take their other sports, I'd probably be well, fine. They're good with at it. baseball too. Like they'd be yeah. a good all sports ad. They would just be an awful football ad. Right. So I I mean, I don't I don't hate it. It's not like my favorite school to add, kind of like they're not one of your favorite schools. But I, I just don't I don't have a lot of good takes on it. I do love the revenue distribution. I do love Brett Yormark. He's I think he's fun. Is that a good word to describe him? I he's kind of wacky. That's for yes, sure. Yes, like, like a cartoon character. Yeah, like I don't know what he's like behind closed doors, <laughs> but I feel like it's uh, like a mix. Like it's like you could blend every character of Succession together, and I feel like that's who Brett Yormark is behind closed doors because it's like these are some out of the box ideas. Like, is he the guy coming up with like the food options at Globe Life Park and like? Who's doing that? Because it seems like it's him. He's got all these crazy ideas, I think. He seems like a guy that would act how Tim Robinson acts when he gets the whoopee cushion under his chair. And I think, I think you should leave. That's a yeah, real shout out by reference the way. there. So no, it's not. It's uh <laughs> is it like the egg game? No, just kidding. Shout out season three. If you're not watching, I think you should leave. Outstanding show on Netflix. <laughs> Um, Kate, that's all I had. We've got a couple of recruiting notes. I know we're going a little long. We have kind of a hard stop, so we might have to cut some questions short. But I do want to talk about in recruiting, 247 released their final transfer portal rankings earlier this week in Oklahoma State. Their transfers in, they had five guys 
in the top two four. So they rank two hundred forty seven. Obviously, you get it, it's two four seven. So Stribling was number eighty. Dalton Cooper was number one twenty five. Arlen Bruce the fourth was number one fifty three. Anthony Goodlow number one sixty one, and Justin Wright number two ten. Kid, I personally like. I think all those rankings were good, but again, we haven't really seen these guys play for Oklahoma State. What I wanted to get your take on was the Oklahoma State transfers out and how they are ranked. Yeah. Mason Cobb's number 74. That's fine. Dominic Richardson is the second highest rated at number 90. Then you go Trace Ford at 115, Jamar Muhammad at 166, Caleb Etienne at 205. I still have not said John Paul Richardson at 232. And then Thomas Harper at 235. Dominic Richardson at 90 is like blowing my mind. Well, and I, Caleb Etienne at 208 is also like, I mean, yeah, I, I'm not sure. And I'm I'm not taking a shot at him, but kind of, I'm not sure he should be on that list. So this whole thing doesn't make any sense. John Paul is hands down the best transfer that Oklahoma State lost last year. Is that right? Right? Like, I, I think him or I, I think... I think or Cobb. That's fair. But, that's fair. But, but it's one or two. He's right? definitely. He's definitely. I think him. I think Cobb, Muhammad, and JPR are probably in that top three. And then I think it's a step down for everybody else. Like Thomas Harper's a really good player, but I wouldn't put him up there with those guys. And then Trace Ford, we just haven't really seen him be able to kind of fully come back from the injury, and that may be due to him having limited snaps, but. I just I think those three should be at the top and everybody else should be like way farther down. And I, I wonder if part of it is because of just how much these guys contributed and had to play. Like, here's the deal, Dustin. Everybody is freaked out about the the amount of people that transferred. And it was a what, what is a six and six team? It's the worst team since 2005. So here's how I feel. Like you're you're upset about six and six, which I, I am too, rightfully so. And then you're upset about a bunch of players on that team transferring out. And then you pulled in arguably better talent. And we're still freaking out about who left in the portal on a six and six team. It doesn't make sense to me. It, it really yeah. doesn't. I think Oklahoma State, if they did not reload, I think you would have a case. But I think genuinely that they upgraded at most of these spots that like the frontline talent is like no question to me. I think they're better. It was the depth that was concerning that they were losing. And I think they've addressed it. Yeah, I completely agree. No, I completely agree. Kate. We uh, can clip for, that too by like October when it is proven to be correct that like yeah. Deshaun Stribling and Arlen Bruce and Dalton Cooper are dudes like we will clip it and put it on Instagram. How about that? And if, if it's not true, we'll delete this part. <laughs> I'm completely on board. Uh, I do want to mention just a couple quick recruiting notes. I know we're kind of running long here. Oklahoma State had their mini camps. They were both held on Sunday and they ran about two and a half hours each. According to post report, there was 169 campers at the morning session and I think there was about that many in the afternoon as well. Some interesting names, just kind of wanted to read through. Rickland Holmes, he's a 2026 running back linebacker from Dell City, six foot 209. He's the son of former Oklahoma State safety and linebacker Rickland Holmes. And his mother, Star, also was an OSU student athlete. Tatum Bell Jr., the son of Tatum Bell, 2026 wide receiver, 5'11", 170 pounds from Heritage High School in Frisco, Texas. 
You obviously all remember Tatum Bell running back at Oklahoma State. Just some names to watch out in the future. Uh, they came, uh, another Dell City guy that was there, Aaron Carter, looks to be uh, someone that's going to be pretty good as he progresses through his career as a fullback linebacker, 6'3", 220. Name to watch there with Oklahoma State recruiting a lot of Dell City. And then I wanted to talk about a couple of quarterbacks in the 2024 class. Noah Lugo, 2024 QB, 6'2", 180 pounds from Eaton High School in Hazlitt, Texas. It's a three-star, number 70 QB, number 148 in Texas. He came down. He's got offers from Bowling Green, North Texas, Tulsa, 17 offers total. I think Indiana's in there as well. A name to watch because Oklahoma State hasn't landed a 2024 guy. I think they like some guys that are still out there a little bit better than Lugo, but he is talented. He's I, I know some of those offers don't scream talent, but it's rated as the number 70 QB. So I think I think he's a name to watch. And then the guy that really stood out, Adrian Posse. Cool last name, 2024 QB, 6'4", 205 pounds from Northwestern High School in Miami, Florida. Three-star, number 63 QB, number 157 in Florida. Big guy, pro style. I I watched a little bit of him throw on huddle, and I really liked what I saw. I know he, Tim Rattay, I think didn't even really know he was going to be there. It sounded like he just kind of showed up. He's got offers from Auburn, Florida, Georgia, Arkansas, LSU, Notre Dame, Ohio State. I know if they would if they could get this guy in for a visit quickly after coming to the camp, I think that would be big time. Yeah, you'd obviously love that. I think especially the offer sheet shows that, right? Yeah, 100%. And then a couple of official visits, Josh Ford, the 2024 tight end commit from Stillwater. He came on his official, even though he's already committed. Carlin Jones, 2024 defensive lineman. He's a three-star out of Bay City High School, 6'3", 270. He came in Monday night, and I think he's completed his visit today. And then Malik Esquera and Devin Jordan and Kadavian Dotson, the four-star corner who we talked about on yep. here, are yep. supposedly coming in for visits soon. And, Cade, that is all I have on football. Well, outstanding. Dustin, thank you for the recruiting roundup on that and and everything on it's a it's an off season of notes right now. That's kind of what we've got on the football side. It's not what we've got on the basketball side. I know we're running long, but let's just run through this real quick. I mean, Dustin, we talked about Isaiah Miranda last week on this podcast. And uh as a guy to watch, and within 72 hours he was a guy to get really freaking excited about because he's on your team so isaiah miranda north carolina state transfer didn't play a game for them but was a former top 50 recruit and is 7-1 can shoot the three can handle the ball athletic freak uh ends up at oklahoma state and dustin you and i both said last week it kind of changed the outlook if they were able to get him it would change our outlook on the season do you still feel that way I think so. I, like you said, former top 50 recruit. He's a guy that reclassified. So if you go look at his recruiting rankings, he's going to show a little bit worse than that. But th this would be a guy who would be one of the top rated recruits in his class. Like he would have been a guy that if we got in that initial class before he reclassified, it would have been one of the bigger gets in Oklahoma State history, rankings wise. Yeah, for he's sure. Got four years of eligibility remaining. If you've watched him, you know, he moves really well with and without the basketball. He'll step outside and shoot. He's a high-flying dunker, even at 7'1", which is, you know, crazy looking to see somebody with that kind of 
athletic ability that's that tall. I think he's definitely more skilled on the offensive end than Amusa Cisse. We'll kind of see how that translates from defense. It's a little concerning that he he ended up enrolling early at NC State, was eligible on December 17th, and then didn't play at all. You, you wonder what what all that was, like what all kind of was mixed in there. I'm not saying there's any – I'm not questioning his character or anything. It's just kind of confusing a little bit there. But I think it's a big get. And, kid, what, what do you think – like if you were to say kind of like a starting five for next year, what would you go with now that we have – only one spot left, and we don't really know who they're going to use it with because it sounds like Malcolm Dandridge is looking at either returning to Memphis, going to he's visiting St. Louis and Western Kentucky, and they, they don't really need another big now. Yeah, I think at this point, you probably this is a total upgrade over a guy like Dandridge, right? I, I think this is a guy you want instead. So this is tough for me. I was texting with a friend of the pod, uh, Joel Pinfield, about this. I think it could be these two. I think your starting lineup could be uh, Javon Small, Bryce Thompson, Eric Daly, Brandon Garrison, and Isaiah Miranda. Although, and this may surprise you, Dustin, I think a guy, Justin McBride, is a guy that people are not talking about very much, you and I included. But I think he could be a four next year. And I think he could be like your starting four at some point because he can step out and shoot. I think he's going to be a guy that at least surprises. And if he does... I think he's going to push Brandon Garrison to the five and Miranda being a, uh, you know, a flex guy, almost the way Musa Cisse became at the end of the year. But if they go small, which I think they're going to a lot this year, I think it's going to be Javon Small, Bryce Thompson, Eric Daly, Keon Williams, which some won't love, but I think that they're going to love his energy off the bench. And then Brandon Garrison. I, I, I have Eric Daly as my starting three in both of those scenarios. Do you think John Michael Wright sees a significant reduction in minutes? I, I mean, not, I wouldn't call it. I mean, yes, because he was your starting point guard at the end of the season. So, yes, but I I think he's going to play a more manageable load. The, he was playing 38 minutes a game, 39 minutes a game. That's not what you really want from a guy like that, I don't think. Yeah, no, I agree. And then, and then you've got Hicklin, too, who will kind of see what he can do. Do you think they use this other scholarship? I do. I do. And I think, I think so too. I think that they're going to go try to get a shooter. I think they're going to go try to get a wing sharpshooter. Jarius Hicklin, I think, was the intention there, but I think you need more. I really do. And, you know, I Isaiah Miranda shows enough shooting ability to where it's like, can he be your four? Can he be your stretch four at seven one? Or is that ridiculous? I mean, I could see it. Yeah. I, Literally anything's on the table with kind of how much this right. roster has turned over. I even think, you know, this isn't as important, but bringing a shooter just to kind of mentor Connor Dow. Seriously. Because right now, right now, like, I just don't think you want to have to put Dow out there as a guy you need you need buckets from on the perimeter as a freshman. And, you know, if he does end up getting into a little bit of slump, that kind of busting his confidence. Because I think he's a guy that probably should be sitting And if you throw him out there, you get kind of a Garrett Rangel situation where you're worried about maybe hurting his confidence. Well, I think nowadays you see so many freshmen play early. I think Dow is going to have opportunities. You just don't want him to have 
you know, the world on his shoulders where he's playing 20 right. minutes a game. I totally agree with that. And that's why I think that they're going to go get another wing, I, a guy that can play the two or three, handle the ball more than likely, uh, but a a 40-plus percent three-point shooter. I don't think Jarius Hicklin is a surefire thing. I don't think you have fully addressed your shooting woes in the portal this far. Yeah, I agree. Well, Cade, I think because we're running out of time, I think we're going to have to skip, skip questions, but we can do a quick roundup of what's been going on because there's a couple of pretty interesting things I wanted to hit with you just on golf real quick on the cowboy golf Jonas Baumgartner and Rasmus Niergaard Peterson both earned honorable mention from the 2023 NCAA division one ping all America teams, which is voted on by the golf coaches association of America. Shout out to those guys, Madison Henson Tolchard and Coach Greg Robertson were both honored in the Big 12 Postseason Awards. We've been giving Greg Robertson his flowers on the pod, so glad to see them, other people giving him his flowers. Henson Tolchard was Player of the Year for the second consecutive season, and Robertson was Big 12 Coach of the Year. What I wanted to hit with you, though, Cade, Victor Hovland. He wins the Memorial, and not only does he win the Memorial, but then he goes out and caddies for Boshu, like, the next day. Yeah. Yeah, and he was the biggest story in golf for all of, what, like 36 hours? <laughs> it's a fantastic <laughs> win. That's a big tournament, too. The Memorial is not, you know, it. there there are worse uh, PGA Tour events to win. Uh, that's a big one. Yeah, it really is. For wrestling, we had Christian Carroll, Oklahoma State signee. He got a spot on Team USA under 20 after winning the 125-kilogram division at the World Team Trials. And Dustin Plott, current Oklahoma State wrestler, he also won to, to uh, secure a spot on Team USA. Cross-country and tra track started the Outdoor Track and Field Championships in Austin today. It's broadcast live on ESPN2, so definitely check that out. And, Cade, that is all I have for the roundup. Well, Dustin, thank you as always for that. And uh, sorry to our listeners. I've got to jump. I've got I got two mouths to feed. They're both trying to go to bed. Uh, hope you can forgive us on this. Maybe at some point, Dustin, we just gather up all the questions. We ditch the agenda. We just go. We just go full questions for sixty minutes Mail to get back. through some of the. I like yeah. that. I mean, it's about to be the the dead of off season. Maybe we get creative in that regard, but. This is my fault. Dustin, thank you for being flexible. And to our listeners, don't stop sending questions. We, we don't do this often, but uh, hope you can understand. So, Dustin, good to talk to you, my friend. Sorry again for the way that uh, softball and baseball ended for you. I know you're uh, you're a diehard. I am too, but you're a diehard. And uh, sorry for that. But uh, it's good chatting with you as always. And if you're not already, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Feels45Pod. You can follow Dustin at DustRagu. And you can follow me on Twitter, at Cade Webb. We'll see you guys back here next week. Have a great rest of your week. Go Pokes.